Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome to episode two of Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Nick Foster joins us today from Vancouver, British Columbia. Nick is former bassist of the Canadian technical death metal band Divinity. During his time with Divinity, they were signed under Nuclear Blast and then Candlelight Records. Nick has found himself on tours such as The Summer Slaughter and sharing stages with the likes of Beneath the Massacre, Origin, Dying Fetus, Into Eternity, Whitechapel, and Necrophagist. Hey Nick, welcome and thank you for joining. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, it's good to see you again. It's kinda, yeah, it's been a few years. It has been. You know, I think the last time, I think the last time I actually saw you, I think we went and saw Boarded, just like your shirt. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. I actually ended up meeting them that night and getting them yeah. autographed an album cover. Yeah, yeah, that was a good show. Um, yeah, their new stuff think, that's coming out is friggin' insane. It's nuts. I can't even. It's crazy. I don't even know how to understand it. I it's funny it, that you mentioned the the concert though, because you're wearing a Cannibal Corpse shirt, and I believe yep. we also went to a Cannibal Corpse concert. That's very, that's very, very possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cannibal's so, pretty wicked. Their new album, I'm a big fan of too. There's a lot of good metal coming out now, but as we were just there talking, is. there's a lot of uh, a lot of garbage metal. too. <laughs> but I mean, it's all subjective. But you know, can't help what I hate. Nope, not at all. <laughs> now, how did you get into metal? Uh I guess uh, that would go back way, way back. I guess I was probably about ten. Um, so, like thirty over thirty years ago, I still remember when I was a kid. Uh, everybody back then was into the big rap groups. And when I was that, when I was that age, the big groups were like MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice and shit like that. You know, like real old school, real cheesy stuff. And I kind of almost thought I had to, uh, you know, listen to that. That's what everyone was listening to. Cause when you're that young, you know, that's when you start to notice things. Yep. And but I could never I could never last more than like a song or two. And then it's like, okay, well, I don't really like this, but I can't tell anybody. And I remember Christmas of that year it was 1990. Um, I think it was 1990. Anyways, <clears throat> we were at our grandparents house in Victoria and my brother had got um, I think it was 1990, yeah. He got the Razor's Edge by ACDC for Christmas that year. And that's when it just came out. It's like Thunderstruck and Money Talks and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, and we sat in my grandma's car and we listened to it in the cassette player. I was like, wow, like this is this is cool. And that was just sort of uh, how I kind of got interested, I guess, in heavier music. And then from there, you know, I heard, you know, like Black Sabbath and then metallica then i just started getting more and more into it and then eventually i discovered bands you know like slayer and anthrax and testament and then i got into more death metal stuff like sepultura arise that was kind of my gateway into death metal and when i was uh, a kid i kind of kept that a secret because i knew my parents wouldn't really approve of me yeah, especially your dad. <laughs> yeah, especially my old man. He's retired now, by the way, and they both live Good. in Victoria. Awesome. And so you guys are still close then. Oh yeah, yeah. They just Good. moved out. They just moved out to Victoria a year ago. So awesome. Sorry to interrupt. Um, Carry on. Yeah, no worries. And 
Yeah, and that's just kind of how it started. And like a lot of people, I saw Cannibal Corpse in Ace Ventura. I'm like, fucking hey, who, yeah. who the hell is that? It's like, that sounds kind of neat. And I found out who that was. And I still remember in the end credits, they actually spelled Cannibal Corpse. They didn't really spell it wrong, but they had the name wrong. They put Cannibal Corpses. That always bothered me. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, obviously, we all know Cannibal's friggin' album covers are you know, pretty gruesome. So I always had to keep those from my parents and I had one outlet to buy that real extreme shit. Uh, there was a record store in the mall close to our house called Big K Music and my dad's friend worked there. And he knew I wasn't some kind of like, you know, little psychotic shit. So he would sell me these these albums that I wanted, but he would just, he'd always say like, okay, like don't tell your dad where you got them from. And uh, so, so yeah, that's just kind of just kind of built from there. And then I developed a, a keen interest in wanting to play. Uh, I don't know. I was in high school. I think I was in like grade eight or grade nine or something. In my ass, I I wanted a bass. And actually, the for me, what got me wanting to play bass was actually uh, sort of a bridge riff in a Soundgarden song called uh rusty cage okay it's just a sick and i always listen to that like on my walkman on the bus and it's just i always loved that part and that's what yeah. made me want to play bass and then obviously i got into hugely got into rush and yep that was a massive massive influence on me as a player um and i just kept going i have little interest in I have, well, I should say little, I have no interest in like, you know, pop music and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I like classical music. I like listening to a lot of classical guitar and, uh, and stuff like that. And, but yeah, with a lot of new, new stuff that's coming out. Yeah. I'm just not a, not a big fan of a lot of the new stuff that's coming out. The Did you listen to all these Dream Theater's new, uh, new Yeah. Track? I, I listened to that the other day. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful for the, uh, new album cause I wasn't super hot on the last one. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll see a big thing for me with a lot of dream theater stuff lately is I haven't been, I haven't been too keen on the production of it. Uh, Fair especially, enough. especially with the drums. It just sounds, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, just felt, uh, all the best production, the dream theaters had were uh, in the Portnoy years. <laughs> okay. N not the Mangini years. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I think your ears probably better tuned for that as a musician. Yeah. Yeah. I get that a lot. <laughs> how did you um, end up learning how to play bass? Uh, a lot of, just a lot of determination and just the, just will and desire. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, it's like the idea that made me want to obviously is just, the idea of like being up on stage, like, yeah, the rock star, yeah, you know, it's cool. So there's the imagery of that too. But then like when I started getting a little more into it, I just started to take music a little bit more serious. Yep. And, uh, uh, yeah, just kind of wanted to try and push my, my own limits, I guess. And it's tough, you know, especially playing bass in a lot of metal, like bass in metal is, uh, can be, can be a demanding thing. You know, obviously, with my with my old band, there were songs that I didn't want to play live because they hurt the living shit out of my hands. <laughs> I remember you saying that. Yeah, 
yeah, it's just like, man, it's like, you know, you can tell when a song was written strictly for, for a guitar. Yep. It's like, you know, when you, when you only have to stretch a few centimeters on a guitar, but you have to make a stretch like friggin' ah, like that in the span of about, you know, a half a second, you mess up notes and you got to try and find new ways to, to play it. So it doesn't sound like garbage, but, uh, but yeah, just like I said, when listening, when I started listening to more, uh, paying attention more to bass, that's kind of when I got uh, interested in Rush. I'm like, holy shit, like, this is crazy. And uh, then I obviously started getting more and more into a lot more progressive stuff. And I'm glad that progressive metal is becoming a big thing because I'm a huge fan of that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've always been a, your attention has always been focused on the proggy and the technical aspect of metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I like music uh, with a lot of substance, in my opinion. Uh, and that's what I feel that kind of stuff has. Do you remember Ivan from uh, Trail? Oh yeah, he's actually in town visiting right now. Really? He's not. He's not here. But yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, he. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm still super close with Ivan. Awesome. I remember <laughs> one thing he said is like, uh, we were talking about music, and you were saying some bands weren't as good, and he said, "You know what, Nick? You like busy music." <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you yeah. know what? You're right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my sister uh, always used to, uh, the way she would describe my musical taste to her friends, because my sister's a very active musician too out here in the mainland, she would always tell her friends that I liked nerd music. Nerd music? Nerd music, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> oh, just like, you know, the the weird, like, proggy stuff, like obviously okay. Rush, Dream Theater, Animals yep. as Leaders, like shit like that, you know, um music nowadays like animals as leaders i when they they have no idea what i'm talking about i tell them it's uh, jazz infused space prog <laughs> <laughs> there's so many different subgenres of metal it's getting to be a complete wash oh it's insane you know like uh, i i remember a few years ago thinking i should start my own metal subgenre and just write songs all about like cooking and I'll just call it food metal. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, just, read out, just, just scream out the ingredients of like a cake or something. <laughs> One cup flour. <laughs> yeah. 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 Bake it in the fiery inferno of hell for 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, shit. Um, it's interesting, uh, my foray into metal kind of started in junior high and I heard like Enter Sandman oh, and yeah. then I would hear stuff like Slipknot and Mudvayne. Um, and then I fast forward a few years, I didn't really listen to anything else. It was mostly new metal that I encountered at that time. Yep. Um, I didn't, like you, I didn't have an outlet to go and get stuff or unlike you, I guess. So I wasn't really sure how to get into metal and I remember the first time asking you uh, what kind of bands you were in and... Uh, sorry, what kind of bands you were into, you started talking about some of these bands that I've never heard of. Yeah. And then you mentioned that most people, when they talk about metal, the only thing they talk about were Slipknot and Mudvayne. And you're like, I'm yeah. sick of that. People need to know better metal. <laughs> so yeah. I do have yeah. to credit you with uh, kind of pushing me right into that scene. And cool. uh, I'm thankful for every band that you were, uh, that cool. you had exposed me to. So Cool. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful world, man. It is. You and know, it's crazy. Like, uh, lately my, my tastes have been changing quite a bit. Like I've, I've always liked the death metal. However, now moving into the more proggy stuff, I've even moved into blues. Um, mm-hmm. I do like different types of rap and stuff, but it, it really just depends on the quality, I guess, of the music. Yep. 
Yeah. You can tell the stuff that's just out there just to make a buck and the stuff that's actually, you know, meant to be like one thing I've never liked is like musicians who refer to themselves as artists. I don't know why. Um, but so just for the sake of, you know, lack of a better term, I'll say, you know, you can tell when music is supposed to be more about the art and rather the, uh, the money. Right. And that's what I find a lot of the metal say that I like, you know, the, uh, the smaller bands, you know, they don't make a whole lot of money. You know, they do it because they want to. Right. Especially now with the advent of all the digital stuff, you can literally make an entire album on your laptop. Yep. You know, um, uh, yeah, which is cool. And that's, uh, uh, it's yeah, instant, yeah. instantly accessible by everybody, right? Yeah. Well, there was a quote by uh, uh, Bruce Dickinson uh, a few years ago. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about the long lines of like you know the people that go on like American Idol and mm-hmm. shit like that. So like they're like they're not musicians; they just want to be famous. You know, these are the, these are the people who want you know they they'll work with songwriters. You know, it's just to put their face and their voice behind something. It's not this one person's own musical integrity that's at work. It's just their look and their, yeah. that's basically it. It's like the people who want to be musicians are the ones who, excuse me, who spend tons of time learning how to play guitar, learning how to play bass, learning how to play drums or whatever. And they have stacks and stacks of like lyrics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like those are the people that want to, that want to really, really play music. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I agree. And I think um, you touched on something there because I remember you were very against, not against, but you really didn't like electronic music and you kind of yeah. refused to call it music. And I think yeah. maybe because <laughs> you can just make it on a laptop that yeah. you're kind of feeling that way. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I mean, anything that is more or less done 100% by, you know, a computer program and all you got to do is like push a couple of buttons to like maybe add in some other weird sound effect to me. Yeah. That's, that has no merit to it. Uh, that's fair at all. Um, now obviously there's probably going to be a lot of people that disagree with me when I say that, but, uh, well, there's like a market said, for it. So there's a huge, right. There, there's a huge market for it. And, uh, I just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll never get it. Uh, <clears throat> Well, like I said, music is subjective and, uh, you know, it's like they say one person's trash is another person's treasure. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and if you're in a completely different scene, there's no reason. I mean, you don't have to defend it. You don't have to put it down. It's just people like what they like, right? Yeah, pretty much. And I've learned that, you know, obviously as I get older, I mean, like I was pretty vocal with that kind of stuff when I was younger. It's like, fuck, man, it's like, that ain't music. How can you listen to that shit? Can you do this on a computer? Can you do that? Can a rapper do this? Does he even know what a vibrato is? And just, uh, it's like, no, they probably don't. <laughs> so, it's But they like, can talk really fast. <laughs> they can talk. They can talk really fast and say, and say bitch all the time. That's true. <laughs> there are a lot of bitches in rap. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But there's some, I mean, every, every music has its talent and, and mm-hmm. it's garbage as well. But oh, yeah. uh, speaking of like, speaking of music, of course, that's the whole point of the podcast, but what's before COVID, what was the metal scene in, in van like? Uh, it's, 
you know, I'll admit I, I haven't been too active in it because I spent a huge amount of my time out of town uh, working. Yep. And so it hasn't really opened back up again. Um, uh, but it's got a it's got a dedicated following. One of the one of the things that's for me, anyways, that I don't like about the scene here in Vancouver is there's not really any good venues to play in anymore. Um, the main venue for most touring bands, aside from like you know the Commodore, which is a prestigious you know venue, it's bloated with history here in Vancouver. But the where all the bands go is this place called the Rickshaw which is, once you get inside, it's a great room. It sounds awesome. Uh, the staff are great. It's it's a good spot, but it's right in the middle of, you know, downtown east side. So a lot of people don't like going there for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I think now, because I'm noticing more and more and more, bigger bands aren't even coming here. That's interesting. You'd think so because of the population. Yeah, but I think a lot of people just like it's a it's an eye opener. I remember talking to Sven from uh, Aborted, and he said like, yep. he couldn't he couldn't friggin' believe it when he first time he went there. Said he had no idea a place like you know like that existed in in this country. But uh, you know it's unfortunate, but I do think that that's you know that's uh, that is something that's going on. Like Vancouver is unofficially known as the no fun city. <laughs> oh no. The Why? city, uh, the city shuts down venues all the time. Like the, this, like this place used to have quite a few good venues for metal, like the Brickyard and even and like the Columbia and even Pub Three Forty were pretty decent spots to go to. And the Cobalt, which was still kind of a dump, but it was, uh, you know, it was a decent, like kind of hardcore metal bar, hardcore yep. and metal bar. Um, but they were a little more spread out. Whereas, uh, yeah, now, yeah, like I said, now we basically just have the rickshaw. Which, like I said, when, when you're inside, it's great. It's when you're outside, it's not so great, right? Is that close to East Hastings there? It's it's on East Hastings. Oh, that's why that be, yeah. that's why people like to avoid it. Yeah, it's on. It's <laughs> right. It's right. It's right. Kind of the uh, the epicenter of the whole area, right on uh, Hastings and Maine. But um, uh, but yeah, like it's unfortunate, like what's all what's happening down there as well but it's just i think it has a big impact on the music scene in this city when that's one of the only venues that people can play at like if you're a bigger band you can move up and go to like the orpheum or the vogue and the commodore or even the queen elizabeth which is quite big is actually where i saw last time i saw dream theaters at the queen elizabeth um but yeah it's just all the all the venues just they they seem to be shutting down like, I mean, I know what's happened. It happens in Calgary too. I know distortion shut down. The Republic is gone. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's fewer and fewer places for like metal bands. I find to play unless you're willing to go down, unless you want to go down right into the, the real CD places. Right. Which yeah. ultimately people will go to, but they don't really like it. No, I mean, East Hastings wasn't an issue for me when I went down there, but that was, 15 years ago now so i have no idea yeah. what it's like yeah yeah that's it's it, it, it gets worse uh, like my fiance works in an in industry where she's down there quite a lot and uh, yeah um uh yeah so yeah it's not getting any better which i do think uh has an impact on on bands like i like i said i know of a few bands that i've spoke to and they just absolutely floored when they get there and 
they don't look forward to coming to Vancouver if they see that they're playing at the rickshaw. Because of where it is. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So was that place built for for sound, for music? I think so, yeah. Like, it's uh, like it's an old place. It's an old, yeah. it's an old room, but yeah, it does sound really, really good. And when, a few years ago, when Nile finally had their, when they finally were able to get back into Canada after, like, decades, yep. they came to Vancouver. I tried to get tickets, but it was sold out, and they played at the rickshaw, and it was absolutely packed. Like, the rickshaw, I don't know how, I forget what capacity is at the rickshaw. Um, it's not a massive venue, but <clears throat> I'd say it's probably, it's, it's bigger than like the, I think it's bigger than the Mac Hall ballroom, but not yep. quite as big as Mac Hall downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I forget, but yeah. And they absolutely jam packed the place and there's a massive lineup of people trying to get in from outside. It was like, holy shit. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, the show they played in Vancouver. That was the first show they played in Canada in decades. Because I think they had someone in the band had a outstanding issue that they finally got resolved. So, yeah. How does the music scene in Vancouver uh, compare to Calgary when you were here? Uh, well, when I was very you know musically active, I thought the, I thought the metal scene in Calgary was was freaking awesome. I spent. You know, I spent a lot of my weekends going going to shows, you know, just yep. local shows or whatever, whether it be at the underground or um, or just upstairs at the warehouse and mm-hmm. the occasionally the Stetson. You know, I, I don't know. Been there. Oh, wait, that's in Forest Lawn, isn't it? The Stetson? No, it's uh, yeah, it's right on uh, it's right on McLeod. OK, I don't yeah, think I've right. ever been there. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, but they, yeah, they uh, they they would get crazy bands in. I remember they got they got Cryptopsy in. Yeah, they got like Skinless. Um, we played there a couple of times, and uh, yeah, it was great. And then there was also I remember I forget we did a big show for this. Uh, I don't think the venue is Radio City. I think it was called. It was a great venue and absolutely packed the place. It was on a Thursday as well, but uh, it was in a real bad location. It wasn't close. It was way, way far away from downtown, obviously. Yeah. Kind of like McLeod, um, sort of in between where to be Southland and Heritage, that kind of area. I think I know where you're talking about because I think I saw you play there that one time. Mm-hmm. Or is that the Stetson that I'm thinking of? I can't remember. <laughs> and that's been so long. Yeah. But uh, yeah, back in the day, I just remember the Calgary scene was really, really good. And there was always bands coming in. So I was at Mac Hall. I was at the ballroom a lot. You know what? You're the person that kind of like pushed me into live music as well because Mm. you challenged me on it. You said, do you ever see your favorite artists live or your favorite musicians live? And I said, no. And you basically just asked me point blank, why not? And then you explained (laughs) to me that the bands are pretty much the last people to get paid. So that's the best way to go and support them. And then I realized like live music is awesome. Yeah, it is. You know, especially if you're in a band that just absolutely rips um, yep. and who takes like what they do seriously. It's like one of the things, too, that we did was on a show day, we always made uh, where we said, OK, like unless we had just like hours and hours and hours from like load in and all that kind of stuff up until we actually played like no drinking Yep. before a show afterwards. Sure. Fair enough. You know. You could have, like I said, if we have, like, there would be, there would be times where we'd be told, okay, load in is at like two. 
okay, but we're not on until like 8.30. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go have something to eat, and I might have a beer or two. Like, that's it. So, that's but okay. if... But, uh, but yeah, you can tell a lot of times the bands, like, what's one of the things about Cannibal? Like, they're they're 100% on point, like, every night. Mm-hmm. Because they take what they do really seriously. And it shows. Well, you kind of have uh, to take it uh, seriously. It's, it's, it's your job. It's your business. It's something yeah. that you want to yeah, expose it, the world to. So Yeah, exactly. And they're one of the few, like, death metal bands... Um, you know, that uh, they do well enough where, yeah, they don't have to work a regular job. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's where I kind of, I was hoping to get to with uh, Divinity. Mm-hmm. But obviously it didn't quite uh, pan out that way. Um, so, but yeah, I'm, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of that. <laughs> so how did you get started with Divinity then? Uh, how I got started was, uh, actually, it's kind of a funny story. I had moved back here into the mainland from Calgary in the summer of 2003. And the, the original idea was I wanted to try and make it go as a musician, like as a session player doing whatever, because this was a much, much, uh, more lucrative, I guess, and busy scene musically that I wanted to break into. So I started just playing around with like cover bands and stuff. And I was in the process of starting a metal band a long, long time ago. Uh, and, uh, but you know, I was young and stupid and pretty horrible with money. So I was broke. So I lived down here for about, uh, for about a year and a half. And, uh, uh, I moved, I, I moved back to Calgary with the original idea of, going up into the oil field for a bit to save some money, then go back to Vancouver. But uh, I wound up, I don't even know if this publication, does the Calgary Fast Forward still exist? You know what? I don't know, but I think yeah. so. Yeah, but I was I was looking for bands, and then I remember I picked up um, the latest uh, copy of that, because it came out every Thursday, I think, and I just looked in Musicians Wanted, and I came across the ad for, I think, that Sean put in, yeah, sure, cool. I'll give them a I'll give them a call. So we gave them a call. We set up a date to kind of meet up. So I brought my gear to their jam space. And after that they jammed once and they gave me a song to learn, which was strain. Okay. And yeah, and then yeah, then they asked me if it was just shy, I think, of my I think it was just shy of my 26th birthday, I think. I think it was it was early, early, early 2000. It was like late January, early February of 2006 when they asked me if I, if, if I wanted the spot. And I said, yeah. For so sure. we, start, we started jamming a lot. And then we played a few shows. Then we recorded Allegory. Yep. Then we went on the road with Under Our Own Dime for a while and then yeah then nuclear blast saw us these were this in the day of, days of myspace yeah. <laughs> uh the, the guy i forget his name somewhere in germany uh saw our page and liked it and said hey blah 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 here you go we want you okay and but not too long after that you know that big financial crisis yeah happened and the whole friggin economy everywhere crashed yeah so it was harder and harder and harder to 
justify going out on the road because everyone's heard the story of the starving musician. Yep. Right. So, um, yeah, we eventually wound up parting ways with uh, Nuclear Blast. Unfortunately, we did some stuff with them. Um, uh, yeah. And then we got picked up by Candlelight for the second album. That's right. And then we got uh, we got nothing from them. And then it was basically, you know what? We're like, screw labels. We're done with them. Yep. And then at that point, you know what? I needed to go away and... Uh, because I kind of, I put everything, for me personally, I kind of put uh, uh, everything kind of on hold because I wanted this so bad. I wanted it to, I wanted stuff with the band to work. I wanted to do my time as just a friggin' road dog and get to that point where, all right, you know, when you tour, you're on a, you're on a bus. You have mm-hmm. a small road crew with you. I wanted to get to that point, but you know, like I said, it doesn't always happen for everybody. That's true. But, you know, we uh, we we made it further than I'd say 99% of most bands do. We got a couple albums out uh, worldwide. Yep. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> and you were with Divinity through the first uh, the first Immortalist EP, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Out of the, the three albums slash EPs that you were a part of, which one was your favorite? Uh... I'd have to say part two. Yeah. Yeah. It just had, uh, yeah, it had that, that part two had some friggin' bangers on it. <laughs> I mean, they all did. Um, well, obviously with part one, we did a tribute to, uh, you know, a fallen brother of ours, uh, Rob. Yep. Uh, he, he passed, I forget what he passed. He was like 2000, maybe like, kind of like 2011 or something like that. 2012. Um, but yeah, we, and I actually played with Rob in his old band, Pericardium, long, long time ago. Pericardium? Pericardium, they were called. And, uh, okay. Rob was actually in Into Eternity for a little while. Interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was with them. I don't think he recorded. He came into them, I think, just after they, uh, finished recording Buried in Oblivion. And I think he wrote some of the songs for their next album, Scattering of Ashes, which is a crazy good album. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, a lot of things. I met, I met, I saw him again years later, and he remembered me. And uh, but yeah, he he died, which is unfortunate. So yeah, we did a we uh, covered one of his tunes called "The Dead Speak from Beyond," which people who knew Rob that uh, <clears throat> you know that struck a chord with them. So yeah. He was a supporter of ours too. Uh, it's cool that you guys were able to kind of give back to him on the album. Yep, yep. We featured some. We featured a part of him, uh, his his voice, his own voice with him talking and stuff like that on on the song as well. So, what's that, that song called? Uh, it's called "The Dead Speak from Beyond." I'm just writing that down because I'm going to listen yeah. to that right after we're done. Yeah, well, there's two versions. There is the version that was originally released on part one, and then there's a there's a slightly different mix on the actual full length uh, album that the guys released a few years ago. Okay, cool. So Can't yeah, just, yeah, just mixed a little differently. Um, but yeah, that was always a banger to play live. Uh, people like yeah. that one. It's kind of a very straightforward kind of death metal anthemy sounding cool. kind of track. <laughs> 
So um, I've been listening to a podcast called Lingua Brutalica, and I really like some of the questions they ask. Mm-hmm. I'm going to steal one from them. Um, for people that don't know your uh, Divinity's music, how would mm-hmm. you describe it? Uh, well, back when I was with the band, um, I would say kind of progressive thrashy death metal, I guess. Fair enough. It had a lot of elements of, of prog in it and a lot of good thrash and death metal moments too. It's kind of a hybrid as a lot of music is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I would, how, how I would say it. <laughs> Basically, I remember Sean would tell people, for people who weren't really well-versed in metal and he's, Oh, you know, Metallica's like, yeah, it's kind of like that, <laughs> which, which <laughs> nice. obviously it's not. And I, and I always remember something that always bothered me was someone who, uh, who told me that he thought the band had a, this is a guy when he's just trying to be nice. Right. So I had to bite my, bite my lip and just say, Oh, thanks man. When he told me that, uh, we had a serious Pantera vibe to us. Interesting. uh, It's like, thanks. (laughs) You're not a fan of Pantera. Uh, It's not, no, it's not that I'm not a fan of Pantera. Um, I'm not as big a fan as a lot of other people are. Um, yeah. Uh, I get kind of, I get kind of tired of them. Okay. You know, again, it's just my own opinion. They have some, yep. I just find it's like a lot of bands. It's like, uh, a lot of the, all the Pantera stuff that I like is the stuff that you never hear. Right. I think that's the case with a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems a lot of radio stations, um, websites, they all kind of focus on the singles or the title tracks, but they don't really yeah. delve deep yeah. into the actual material. Well, even on something like Liquid Metal on Sirius XM, it's like mm-hmm. the only songs you really ever hear them play a friggin' Pantera is like fucking Hostile, Walk, or Cowboys from Hell. It's like, yeah. come on. <laughs> it's like, let's hear, let's hear something else. They, gotta, they, they have a pretty extensive catalog, you know. Uh, but everything, you know, everything uh, preceding Cowboys from Hell was pretty lame. I don't know if you ever heard their stuff uh, before Cowboys from Hell, but it's pretty hilarious. I, uh, I'm i not a huge listener of Pantera, and I think yeah. the three songs you mentioned are the three songs I've really listened to yeah. a few times. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they have a substantial place in metal, and I definitely oh, appreciate the music for that. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, like I was in shock back. I think it's two thousand four when I heard that Dimebag Daryl was uh, shot and killed on stage. Like, oh yeah, no way. So you know, I mean, some buddies of mine we jammed out some Pantera tunes that night, just like in his honor. It's like, yep. all right, cool. But yeah, Pantera's never really had a huge influence. Was never a huge influence on me for uh, for metal. <laughs> and so you've been a fan of like we've already talked uh, the proggy stuff, the technical mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Other than Rush, what are some of your personal influences? Like what? Like what do you mean? Personal influence, like for music? Yeah, like who are some of the artists, or musicians that uh, uh, that you like to? Yeah, that dream, you would dream, you. dream theater is a huge one. Um, Cannibal, that's a big one. Uh, uh, Primus, they had a big influence on me as a as a young guy. Like in my early twenties, I was obsessed with Primus, and uh, and obviously you know Metallica. They're, I mean, I've been listening to Metallica for decades so no matter what i'm always going to be a fan of them and um uh 
Yeah, if, say, as far as my biggest influences, it was probably those bands, and maybe also, I guess I got, I'll probably add an Iron Maiden to that as well. Yeah. Um, like, one of my all-time favorite songs is off Number of the Beast, which is Hallowed Be Thy Name. Yep. Um, yeah, it's when it's a badass song to jam to as well. Uh, yeah, so as far as my biggest musical influences that go for metal, probably those guys. And then there's more modern stuff. I don't want to say I get influenced so much by people anymore, um, but I get inspired by, okay, you know, uh, by by like new bands and stuff like that. Like a band that I absolutely love right now is Rivers of Nile. Yep. Um, like to me, they're just like, wow, like this is this is incredible. <laughs> And they're dropping another album uh, coming up soon, aren't they? Yeah, The Work. They just released uh, a single, um, Clean, which is really cool. I haven't listened to it yet, but I should. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's another band out there called The Zenith Passage. They just released a new track. It's like, goddamn. And First Fragment, it's another tech band. Mm -hmm. um, Featuring, my opinion, probably the most original-sounding badass bass player probably arguably in all of metal uh they're from quebec or from montreal and um i uh, probably heard his name is dominic forest lapointe he played in beyond creation and augury <clears throat> filled in with for gorguts for a while but he's just absolutely insane so he's been a part of a lot of influential canadian metal bands then. oh god yeah his he's got a he's got a massive a uh, list of bands that he's played with and recorded with. Uh, yeah, he's he's an absolute beast, man. He's a yeah, he's he's this tiny guy and he plays this huge left left-handed fretless six-string bass, and it's just it's crazy listening. He's a jazz player who loves metal, so that's cool. Yeah, so you listen to the first two Beyond Creation albums, and he's on those ones. Okay. And and they're just they're just they're so good. They're so good. <laughs> so let's go back to your time with Divinity. Um mm-hmm. you mentioned that one of the things that kind of got you into uh, or that kind of pushed you towards being in a band was that you wanted that rock star vibe. What was your first gig like? With Divinity? Yeah. Or oh. even uh, <clears throat> even your other band there. Uh, well, I never actually played any shows with them. Uh, okay. I jammed with them a bunch of times in addition where I at the time, like I was really young and Rob was quite a, quite a bit older than me and uh, it just didn't work out. Like we were very different people too. So mm-hmm. it was, it was, a, it was a really intense kind of atmosphere. And I was like, you know what? It takes away kind of the fun of it. So oh. I, I, so I stopped, but my first gig with divinity was, uh, was crazy. It was at the, um, the underground. And I remember I was nervous all day. It's like, holy shit, first gig, first gig with it with these guys. And uh, I remember we got in, we set up our stuff, and um, uh, say, all right, we have a couple hours until like you know the first band's supposed to go on. So myself and Sasha, we decided, okay, we're, we're gonna go get something to eat. So we went down the street, we were gone for like an hour or so, and we came back, and the room was absolutely packed. Friggin' packed. I'm like, holy shit. 
right? And my my mom and dad came to the show too. <laughs> and uh, and I still remember like everyone's wearing you know obviously like black and stuff like that. And here comes my mom. She had just uh, came from like a company like golf tournament, so she's got this bright yellow shirt on. And uh, Sean's parents came to the show as well, so they're kind of near the back. And uh, but yeah, my dad still tells me about that because we had always had those big subsonic bass blasts. Yeah. And he said the first time he heard that, he said it just felt like he got punched in the chest because back then it wasn't pre-recorded. Brett yeah. had a uh, like an electric pad that you touched, boom, like that. So it's pretty cool. And but yeah, it was it was a packed show and. Uh, um, yeah, we did really well, and yeah, that was my intro into playing live with with Divinity. It's like, fucking hey, like this is awesome. <laughs> so now, then, go forward a, a couple of years there, and you mm-hmm. toured on the Summer Slaughter. Yeah, yeah. How was that? That was insane. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more. Um, well, we uh, it was a long drive to get to the first show because the first show was in Quebec City. Yeah. So and coming from like, Calgary at that point, yeah, that's across like, the yeah. country. Yeah, in the van, pulling a trailer. Yeah, that was freaking like a five-day drive. Uh, but yeah, I actually hit it off really well with Mo, the main man from Necrophagist. Yep. And uh, he's that's a that's a you know that's a coveted guy in yep. in the metal industry in the metal scene. And uh, you know we'd be we'd be he would always he would watch our set all the time. And yeah, we became buddies. I haven't, I mean, I haven't spoken to him for a few years now. Um, but yeah, he would always kind of seek me out afterwards to like, hey, let's hang out on the bus. Let's have some beers and shit like yeah. that. And I still remember at the Calgary show, uh, you know, he knew this was the, our hometown show and he came up, he's just chatting. So yeah, this is your, this is the hometown show. It's like, yeah, man. And he's here like, hey, it's like, I'm actually feeling kind of cold. You gotta, you gotta. A nice, a nice shirt you could you could give me. He wanted a yeah. piece of our, our merch, so I was like, "Yeah, for sure." I can't remember. Maybe it was a hoodie. I can't remember what it was or a long sleeve. I forget. But I took him down to the because the the warehouse upstairs where the show was, and the underground downstairs is where we had all the merch tables. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, get him. Uh, so I gave him whatever whatever the hell he wanted. And uh, then he took me over to his merch table. I was like, all right, pick anything from here that you want. I'm like, no way. And so that's how I wound up with my Necrophages hoodie that I still have. Nice. And, uh, yeah, that was basically that. And, then uh, yeah, touring with, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Sean. Is it Sean Beasley? The bass player and vocalist for Dying Fetus always wanted to use my equipment. You know, because everyone there, you know, there was a there was like a sponsored backline and stuff. And I came in, you know, we all had this. That's what we spent all our money on was really high end gear. Yep. You know, I had my big friggin Mesa tower and I had my little effects rig and I had my Ken Smith bass and stuff like that. And I'm like, holy crap, man. So the first I think it was the first like four bands used my rig <laughs> uh, to to play their to play their sets and uh yeah there was a band because we were the seconds because we were pretty unknown there was one other band i forget they were called common grave as we were called from germany then it was us then it was veil of maya then it was white chapel i think it was white chapel 
Yeah. And uh, Whitechapel was on the Whitechapel was on the bill. I just forget the order that they played in. Yeah. But yeah, and they actually you know, it wasn't Whitechapel. It was Neuraxis. That's what it was. And then it was Whitechapel. Something like that. <laughs> but yeah, and they used. Uh, yeah, they always wanted to use my stuff. <laughs> I wouldn't let That's them use cool. my. Yeah, I wouldn't let him use my bass, but they could use my my amplifier and shit because it was a it was a friggin' powerhouse rig. So. Yeah, <laughs> from an outsider's perspective, I don't think uh, instruments are just pick up and play like they're tuned specifically. They have different yeah. sounds. Am I right? Or yep, yeah, a lot of bands play in specific tunings. Like our tuning was pretty standard. We played in uh, uh, like drop A standard. Basically, it's uh, you know put that in layman's terms. Like most guitars and basses are tuned with standard E. So uh, you just kind of, uh, but we all played, you know, like six, six string bass, five string bass and seven string guitar. So you just take each uh, string, drop it down one whole step and you keep, and it just basically keep the same, same intervals between the, uh, the tuning. So it's just called, yeah, standard drop A basically. But some bands like Into Eternity, for example, they play, I think it's like open C tuning, which is totally different from us. <laughs> yeah. They're very unique sounds. I don't know the difference, but I can yeah. definitely tell which bands are which based on the instrumentals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Into Eternity's got a really cool sound. But for the most part, most bands play I I think in, in more kind of standard a standard tuning. It could be drop tuned all you want. Like the big thing right now obviously is the extended range with like your eight string guitars which has a a low f sharp i think it is or is it an f i forget but it's still like your fingers will still kind of move the same way so if you're familiar with putting your fingers in a certain way to make a chord you know it'll be the same thing you know with that just kind of a lower note it's not like like the uh open c where you'd have to your fingers would be totally different to make a similar to make the same kind of chord as you would on like a standard tune guitar. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, it's it's just I don't get it. You can you can do some pretty neat things with uh, with different tuning, but it's just not something I ever ever really got into. <laughs> it seems quite technical too. It's definitely going over my head. Yeah, it can be. It can be, but I guess it's like anything once you get used to it. Yep. The more you know, the easier it gets. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So one thing that was very interesting about that year, and I think it was 2008 when the Summer Slaughter came to Calgary, mm -hmm. um, it was playing at a club downtown that uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it was during the Calgary Stampede. And for the people that don't <laughs> that know was... what the Calgary Stampede is, yeah. it's, uh, it's a world famous rodeo, essentially, and carnivals. Uh, yeah, I avoid yeah. it like the plague. But so yeah. this place was decked out in country gear, like wooden yeah. railings, yeah. and people were wearing yeah. their button-up flannel shirts. I remember. And then you that. have these yeah. metalheads walking in, and it was just—it was yeah, pretty cool. Was, I remember that. That was actually the following year. That was uh, two thousand nine. I remember was that. It? Okay, that's yeah, the one that I hit. Yeah, because we were we were in the process of making the singularity at that time. So we actually yep. couldn't do, we actually couldn't do the tour, but Mo uh, got in touch with me and he put us all on the, on the guest list for that one. Yeah. And you could tell Mo just looked completely fucking burnt out too. And I think that was among like, I think the last tours he ever did. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I remember that too. Uh, yeah. Just like friggin' cowboys and wannabe friggin', uh, 
corporate cowboys walking around and then you get yeah and then you get the greasy fucking stinky metalhead road dogs <laughs> coming about with your you know your super long hair and you know you got your leather jackets and shit and your spike belts and bull and the gory t-shirts and the gory t-shirts yeah, yeah. it was a I good st- contrast oh yeah it was great and uh i forget i forget the name of that bar too it was actually a really nice place yeah it had even the upstairs uh deck that you could watch the show from yeah, I told I completely forget the, what that place was called. Uh, I don't even, that. Anyways, we can talk about that another time. I think. Yeah, I think that was on Tenth Ave, but whatever. Yeah, but that's funny. I actually still have <laughs> a pretty funny memory of that show. I was talking with uh, with Sean, the bass player, singer for Dying Fetus, <laughs> and we were having a conversation. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up. You know this. You know, obviously a very, very, very big fan of Dying Fetus and just completely interrupts our conversation. He's trying to tell him how much he loves the band. It's like, look, and he lifts up and he's got Dying Fetus tattooed across his neck. And Sean's just, <laughs> Sean, Sean is just like, yeah, yeah, man, that that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck, man? That guy's retarded. <laughs> what do you say to that, hey? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess it's kind of flattering, but yeah, have dying fetus tattooed across your neck. Like, yeah, it's a like, it's a little public for that, hey. It is, and uh, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> yeah, he won't be he won't be getting a job at like you know anywhere S- Safeway anytime soon, <laughs> right? Or a job as a working in a daycare. <laughs> I think the worst neck t- tattoo that I've ever seen. Um, it was a guy that had murder uh, tattooed backwards on his neck so you could read it in a mirror. So I asked him what that was about. Like it had like the blood. It actually looked like a, like a metal font, but I asked him what that was about. He's like, well, I'm spending the rest of my life in jail anyways. So what's the difference? Like, fair enough. <laughs> I guess, I guess when you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're looking at pretty much life, it's like, ugh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people do some odd things. Um, uh, like I remember watching some interviews like with James Hetfield and he says it's always kind of weird when you see someone who has your face tattooed on them <laughs> that would be weird yeah yeah have you met anyone with your face tattooed on them uh no I'd be <laughs> I'd be I'd be very very surprised if such a person even existed <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd have to question why and yeah 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 the only thing I've ever done sort of in the same vein as that and I was uh, and I always remember my, my mom always used to give me a hard time when I tell the story. The first time I ever got to sign a, a pair of tits, that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. It's like, yeah, sure, I'll sign. I'll sign those for you. <laughs> and wasn't that on one of your summer slaughter tours? Oh, I forget, but uh, that's funny. But yeah, that that, that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> there are far worse things to sign, that's for sure. Yeah, I'd much rather <laughs> I'd much rather sign a nice pair of tits than some guy's dick. Say, <laughs> like, hey man, sign right here. <laughs> okay. Then you'd have to question, like, it's kind of like getting a tattoo. Does it have to be soft or hard? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I can make my name seem pretty short, so <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> So about touring, what was like one of your favorite things about it? Ah, uh, well, it's just it's just fun getting up and and playing and showcasing 
what you have. Um, you know, when you have a good responsive crowd that's uh, roaring back and some some people are singing along to the music you've helped create, yeah, it's, that's a rush, you know. For sure. And, uh, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, uh, uh, the loadout after the show, like packing up your gear, that sucks. So that's probably my least favorite <laughs> part of touring. <laughs> Because you know all of our equipment was pretty was pretty big, especially Brett. He had these huge friggin' giant wooden crates that he kept his uh, drum hardware in, and I usually always had the uh, unfortunate task of getting those out to the damn trailer. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the uh, the best part is just being up, playing, and you got a responsive crowds. Even some crowds that are small, but they're digging what you're doing. You know, you kind of you kind of uh, yeah, you kind of, you just kind of go with that, and it kind of it. You get hyped when you see a few people just enjoying the hell out of what you're doing, and then they, you know, they get your album, they get a shirt. It's like fucking rights, man. That's awesome. So yeah, that would definitely be it. Have you ever made a mistake on stage? Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> How do you cover? How do you make it look like you didn't? Uh, you just kind of keep going. I mean, sometimes if it's so blaringly obvious. I find the best way to deal with that. It's also to make it obvious to everyone else that you know you fuck up. Like whoops, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it happens. It happens yeah. to it happens to the best of 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 players. Like, oh yeah, for sure. Um, I say it's something that's completely unavoidable, especially when you're playing music that's that's busy. Right, you're gonna make you're gonna make mistakes once in a while. You know, exactly. whether it be your actual playing or maybe your gear will, will crap out. I remember, yeah. I th think it was aborted, but I could be wrong. Um, the drummer was going pretty hard and then his drumstick broke. Oh, so yeah. without even skipping a beat, he just reached down without looking, grabbed another one and kept going. It was, yep. the guy was like thing. a ninja. Yeah, that's one thing that drummers kind of have to get proficient at is how to quickly swap sticks. Yeah. You know, it's like Brett, he, he had just his big uh, sort of little pouch full of sticks right beside his floor tom. So he right one, two, like that, just grab another one. So, there was another, I, uh, sorry, um, another time I saw Arsis play in Seattle. Um, it's actually funny. My, my last guest, Mike, he, uh, he's a photographer in Seattle mm -hmm. and he's been doing uh, photography for 35 years or so. Cool. Anyway, so I met him at the Arsis and uh, Sepultura show, but I believe the guitarist for Arsis broke a string and he had to switch things out. It didn't take him very long and I didn't notice at all, but you can tell that he was pretty pissed off about it. Oh yeah, no one likes it when that happens, <clears throat> you know, and that's why you have backup guitars. Yep. <clears throat> you know, and if you have, if you're lucky enough to have a tech with you while you're using your backup guitar, the tech is backstage restringing your your main guitar. So mm -hmm. then, boom, you finish the song, you switch back. Speaking of switching instruments, um, something <clears throat> I'm kind of curious about, and I don't know much about guitars and everything, but the last Metallica show that I saw, they switched out a lot of times. What's the reason for that, or what kind of just brings that on? Different tuning. Yeah. Different tuning. Like, uh, you know, you'll find that a lot with uh, bands that have been around for a long time because, <clears throat> like, Rush did it a lot. And yep. I think Dream, Dream Theater is starting to do it too. It's just as you get older, you can't quite hit those higher notes anymore. So you kind of got to compensate and you drop tuning guitar a bit so you can still hit the same note, but just a different pitch. So that's what oh, I do that. And just some songs are just written in a different tuning right 
Yeah. Metallica, like older Metallica stuff is typically all in standard E, but when you get into like the load era and stuff like that, it's like E flat or D. <clears throat> so yeah, that's that's basically all that is. They switch out for different tunings mainly, but sometimes it's also uh it's just a tonal preference for a certain song or it could be just uh that guitar for that particular song just feels better that's typically it's typically what that is fair enough yep it definitely looks impressive when they bring this entire i guess shelf of guitars on stage oh, yeah. like what is oh, going yeah. on <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah that's really cool i like taking glimpses into like band studios like just videos and stuff oh shit you got like guys like metallic oh yeah there's like 400 guitars in here like holy shit let's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are it's like you know we'd practice in divinity like we'd have like you know like six guitars yeah you know i'd have two basses james would have two guitars sash would have two guitars <laughs> yeah so that was it What's Sasha doing these days? Uh, he uh, he has his uh, his band called uh, Every Hour Kills. Actually, I haven't I, have, I haven't spoken to the guys for a little while. Um, but Sasha, um, uh, he's he's big, big, big into like producing and stuff like that now. Uh, cool. I know back in my days, he was starting to gain a reputation for, you know, for, for metal production. Um, I can only assume that's still his forte. Yeah. Um, like I said, I haven't really spoken to the guys much in the last few years. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, but uh, they just, I think they just cut a new album too, Every Hour Kills. Uh, they're very much the modern kind of metal they got a lot of synth stuff added into it it's heavy as shit like all uh eight string guitars yeah. and all that kind of stuff so yeah one and, thing that surprised me about sasha was that he was so reserved but then he got on stage and he just ripped that guitar apart like, it was oh, he was he was a maniac uh like he would like sweat like acid or something like his fretboard would like start turning green <laughs> uh it was weird uh but yeah he was an absolute monster on on guitar um absolute monster and like his for me personally i had an easier time playing along to his songs than i did james because james his songwriting and playing style were very very different james was a lot more intricate a lot more string jumping and shit like that which for a lot of players is pretty tough <clears throat> uh but sasha was a lot more kind of i don't want to use i don't know if i want to use the word straight ahead because it's not but I just, it came to me a lot easier than than James's stuff did. For me, James's music was always was always a pain. I never really looked forward to. Hey, I got a new song. It's like, oh god damn it! <laughs> it's like, okay, here we go this, again. Hey, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like this is gonna this is gonna hurt. <laughs> but they both played to each other's strengths. Like Sasha was the, uh, he was the big time shredder, the power riffer, and James was. Yeah, James was the real finesse guy. So what involvement did you have in the writing process for Divinity? Or the, I guess, production? Uh, well, typically, I mean, Allegory was pretty much all written by the time I joined the band. And when we uh, started writing Singularity, um, it was basically, that album was pretty much Sasha. He wrote majority of the songs on that album. But basically what the guys would do, they... We would all have like ideas, but like James and Sasha are, they're 
they're songwriting machines. And that's never been something that's, uh, I've been particularly good at was writing whole songs. I'd have, I'd have, uh, I'd have my ideas that I could throw in to these, to these things. And that's basically like, we'd, we'd start, we'd start jamming and be like, Hey, you know, what about this instead of that? So it'd be more or less kind of a collaborative idea, but, uh, you know, the foundation of the song was typically laid out before, uh, you know, before it was brought to the table and like, I'd be like trying to write some stuff and like, Sasha, hey, I got three more. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was that. And it just my involvement in the band just started to dwindle as I started to go out of town more and more. And, uh, so I became much less involved in, in things, which, you know, kind of sucked. Yep. Um, yeah that's ultimately what led to me uh, exiting the band was just i couldn't commit so much anymore um uh but yeah the uh yeah it would take us a long time to fully construct a song because everyone had sort of ideas that they wanted to bring bring to the table for something but i always found james was the worst for that uh there would always be things that he wanted to change like all the time like man, like it's good the way it is, dude. Like, 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 that's, like that's that's ripping. It's like oh, but I want to do this. It's like oh man, we can do another song with that. Yeah, yeah. And then it was funny because James and Brett, being brothers, you know, they'd be able yep. to talk to each other a little differently. And Brett would just be like, "Fuck, man, like make up your fucking mind, goddammit. <laughs> so it'd be it'd be pretty funny. And Sean, being Sean was a very passive guy, he would just be like, "Yeah, I like both." Yeah. <laughs> With uh, with your time with Divinity, was there like a lyrical theme, or did each album kind of have a theme, or was it just whatever you wanted to write about? No, they tried to keep them fairly, you know, fairly thematic. Um, yeah, it's basically like the uh, we'll take like the Immortalist for for example. Like the theme for that album was like you know one man's quest to become immortal. Yep. You know, so everything kind of revolved around around that, which I think was kind of cool. Yep. Uh, I like I like uh, albums that are based on themes. I'm a big fan of that, which is a big facet of uh, you know Prague. Yep. You know, but, um, but yeah, everything kind of followed. You know, yeah, a, a, a general kind of theme. A lot of it was about. Uh, where do I want to put this? Kind of like. Oh, I, I can't even think about how I want to put this. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it. I'm at a lot of words right now. <laughs> it's all good. Um, uh, but yeah, there was very big on the, uh, on the thematic end of things for the guys. Cool. Like I said, I'm not, a, uh, James and Sean were really, really good lyricists. And did they um, collaborate on all songs or was it kind of like they would do one song each or, uh, Voc vocally or lyrically, sorry. Um, I think yeah, Sean would definitely have the final say. Mm -hmm. um, but if James had a particular idea for a song, he was pretty. It's like nope, it's got to be like this. It's got to be like that, right? But yeah, Sean would always have the final say because he's the one who's going to sing it. Right? Yep. Um, but yeah, the guys would they would collaborate quite a bit. Um, uh, like say more like say with the idea of where they wanted to go and then Sean would start 
okay, well, that's cool. I can work with that. Do, 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 do. Come. Yep. He Maybe he would do a little demo himself and then, okay, how's this? You know, so that'd be like, perfect, right? Yep. So that's typically how that, how, how, how that happened. Yeah, James and Sean, like, they've been close friends for years and years and years, and I can only imagine that they still are. Like I said, yeah. I, I've been meaning to reach out to the guys for, for a little while. I just, I haven't. <laughs> it's the same reason um, we haven't talked as much as, uh, yeah, to, at least. Yeah, it's just, it's just life, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think the band's on a bit of a hiatus right now. I was talking with Jeff. Yep. The other vocalist who was actually, he, he, he was actually, uh, the bass player in Divinity many, many years ago. Before you? But, oh yeah. Yeah. Before me. Okay. And, uh, Interesting. yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I was talking to him, that was a month or so ago, and he said, "Yeah, the band's kind of on hiatus right now. They just came out with another with another album. Oh, I forget what it's called. I listened to it. It's actually really good." Um, that was last year, wasn't it? Twenty twenty, or maybe actually, I think, I think I think it dropped this year. I oh, I gotta I gotta I gotta look it up. I can't remember exactly. I can't even remember what it's called. It's got a really neat cover though. Looks like old kind of sci fi ish. Looks really cool. Uh, um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, if they go, if they do more, I've, I know in the past and, you know, one of the last times I spoke to him, I tossed around the idea of like, Hey, what about maybe like a reunion show or something like that? That'd be cool. Yeah. So, but I've never, I haven't heard anything <laughs> from them about that. So I don't know if that'll ever happen. Maybe well, if it does, I'm on board. If it doesn't, yep, for oh, sure. it doesn't. <laughs> so you did a music video with them, uh, Plasma. Did a few. Yeah, did a few. Yeah, Plasma was the first one, yeah. How was it shooting your first music video? Uh, my experience of it, it was very, very boring. Um, I mean, it's kind of neat, but, like, I basically sat there and did nothing for two days. Yep. Until they needed me to get in front of the, the camera. And I was actually, I didn't actually want to be on camera that much. So I, did, I only wanted to do basically like one take where the other guys did fucking tons. And uh, I remember I was whipping my hair around so friggin' much at one point and just the heat from those huge lights in the studio, I actually friggin' fell over. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, man, I got so dizzy. But it was kind of cool because, like, you know, we had some, an I had an animal trainer because we had, uh, we had a, an owl in the video, so that was neat. Uh, That's cool. Being being able to like hold that thing, yeah. And then we had a big snake, and then some mice and shit like that. <laughs> the mice I didn't really care about. The snakes, or the snake and the owl, that was cool. But uh, you know, I definitely gained a, an appreciation to how much work goes into making something. The video is only like five and a half minutes, mm -hmm. and it took like you know like you know, like 30 hours of just like actual like filming to get the footage. Right. And then when we saw the, uh, the final product, we're like, Holy shit, like this is insane. Like the, the video, cause the guy who, who he actually contacted us, his name is Doug cook. And he did the video for us for laying the bed as well, which that was actually filmed all in our jam space. Cause we had a very specific idea we wanted, which didn't need a big studio. Yep. Um, but yeah, he came up to us and he was kind of like an amateur, like photographer, videographer kind of guy. 
I think he had a little. Yeah, I think he had. Uh, I think he had some 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 money as well, which is helps. <laughs> totally. Uh, but um, yeah, he got all these people volunteered to help with this, and I guess the final cost of the video, we said if we had to pay for it, it would have cost like thirty five thousand bucks. Holy! It's like, it's like holy shit. Could have been a bit more. I can't remember. But like renting the uh, place. But I mean, he took it on as a as a project for himself as well. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said, okay, yeah, I think, yeah, I think he's got some money. <laughs> but it's crazy, uh, thirty-five grand for one video—that's nuts. Yeah, and I think as far as video is concerned, that's pretty cheap too. Yeah, and that was you back know, when, in, in. That was in two thousand seven. It was actually funny. It was right when we finished um, making it. That's when we got contacted by Nuclear Blast, and when we told them that we just finished making a video as well, they were like, "Holy shit! No way!" <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, so we had to wait, I think, until, I forget if we had to wait until the album dropped or if we could release the video before. I forget. But, um, yeah, I got a lot of good feedback. And, uh, yeah, Nuclear Blast featured us in, you know, some magazines and stuff like that. Uh, I still have, I think I got a couple somewhere. Um. But yeah, the plasma video was pretty cool. But yeah, my personal experience was pretty boring because <laughs> I basically That's... just sat, I sat there and did nothing. <laughs> it kind of feels like a waste of time if you're not doing much. But then the yeah. finished product is nice. Yeah, it does. Like the amount of time, like the band was in the video. Like we did our time in front of the camera in like, like two hours. Yeah, you know, and we were the last ones to do anything. <laughs> everything else was all the actors that were that were in and uh sh- actually one of the girls in the video charity actually uh uh sean and charity wound up getting married uh, oh, charity is charity is the one in the video you can see right towards the end that we pour the goo all over yeah she's got like her arms up in the end she's got all the molasses we covered her in molasses and yeah her and sean wound up getting <laughs> wound up getting married <laughs> um love it at first sight then hey <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah that was that was my experience and the video for lay in the bed was a lot quicker because um yeah we just did it we basically just set up black sheets in yep. our uh jam space and then we recorded a few takes of uh you know each member and um yeah and then doug just added in some some visual kind of things like lightning and stuff like that and that was that but it's a cool video it's more i like the more performance based videos rather than big stories or big uh production videos personally yeah they definitely both have their place for sure yeah but yeah awesome well thank you for coming on the show there nick yeah man absolutely it's my pleasure let's let's try and do it again absolutely i'd have you on anytime yeah man just uh just let me know and i'll be there Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.